Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for bringing us together. Thank you that we gather, as your church has done for generations, to hear your word, to reflect on it together, and to seek to put it into practice in our lives. Send us out today as your church, renewed in our commitment to serving you, to submitting to your ways in our life and in, our, in the world in which we live. Bless us today as we listen and reflect on your word. Open our hearts and our minds to what you want to say to us today. May it bear much fruit to your glory and serve to grow your kingdom in this place. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I can't tell you how good it is not to be sitting in front of my phone on a stand recording a sermon. It's so lovely to be here and to see faces and, uh, well, praise God. We are in the, in the midst of a sermon series on the letter of James, and it's been a really timely thing for us to go through this letter, and I have personally got a lot out of um, preparing for this, studying this, and praying this text. And today's theme is, well, the, the overall theme of our um, series is a faith that works, which what more could we need in this day and age? But today's theme is my way or the high way. Well, just to recap, the letter of James was written very, very early. It was actually the earliest New Testament book that we have. That was written even earlier than, James, uh, than uh, Mark's Gospel. Very early. And it, it comes in as what they call a chiastic structure, which is, goes around in a bit of a curve. So there's point A, point B, point C point C, point B, point A, and comes back again. So we're kind of on the end of the curve at the moment and uh, working together the threads of the themes that uh, James has written through his book. Now, it's really helpful. Liz actually said this last week, and I thought, well, yeah, duh, that was a really obvious point, but James was writing to a church. Sometimes we forget that. We think he's writing to us or he's writing to a mate. or He was writing to a church, to a group just like this, probably about this size, gathering together, working out what it was to be followers of Christ. Not just a group of individuals, but a church. They were gathering in the name of Jesus, proclaiming faith in the one crucified and risen. They were a small counter-cultural group. They were very diverse, people of every background imaginable, and cutting across everything that the world around them espoused as being important. Well, so far, so good. We can hear that. That's all right. But here, in today's reading, in particular, we find James writing to them about obvious conflicts in their midst. James is writing to a church in conflict, a church that was losing its way. People were divided and therefore loyalties were divided. And the surrounding culture had slowly started to creep in to the point where it was beginning 
to be difficult to actually discern any real differences between the church and the society around them. The church was becoming just another social club that was more concerned with going through the motions than worshipping and serving God. I'm not quite sure if that's encouraging or not, that it only took about 45 years for that to happen. But, uh, you know, we don't change much, do we, as human beings? And questions like these. Who held positions of power and influence? Who made decisions about where they met or what they sang or who, who could speak, sorry, or what they ate or who sat where? These trivial matters had begun to overshadow the reason they were even there. And I'm so glad that trivial things like that would never be an issue in church today. <laughs> now, a central theme of James's letter is what happens when we are bumped by life? What happens when we're bumped by life? And we've been revisiting this over the last few weeks. And he's reminding us that what comes out of us, what spills over when we're bumped by life, reveals our truest self. Our words, our deeds, our desires, our ambitions, our strivings, our passions, our blind spots, all reflect our heart, who we truly are and whose we truly are. Now today in this passage that we've read, and it was a, it was a mixture of um, different parts of the letter, picking up on the same themes, James is contrasting two very distinct ways of living, two kinds of wisdom, if you like. And the first, number one, is my way. Now we all know the word, that we all know the song. I actually looked it up and I've got the words here and I was a bit shocked when I read these words. I'm going to read them to you. Now, this is the number one choice in Australia for men's funerals. It says a lot. <laughs> and now the end is near, and so I face the final curtain. My friends, I'll say it clear. I'll state my case of which I'm certain. I've lived a life that's full. I travelled each and every highway. But more, much more than this, I did it my way. Regrets, I've had a few, but then again, too few to mention. I did what I had to do and saw it through without exemption. I planned each charted course, each careful step along the byway. But more, much more than this, I did it my way. Yes, there were times, I'm sure you knew, when I bit off more than I could chew. But through it all, when there was doubt, I ate it up and spat it out. I faced it all and I stood tall and I did it my way. I've laughed and loved and cried. I've had my fill, my share of losing. And now as tears subside, I find it all so amusing to think I did all that. And may I say, not in a shy way, Oh, no. No, not me. I did it my way. For what is a man? What has he got? If not himself, then he has not. 
to say all the things he truly feels and know the words of one, not, sorry, this is really important, and not the words of one who kneels. The record shows I took the blows, but I did it my way. It's a classic example of worldly thinking. It's the antithesis of the way a follower of Christ should aspire to live or the legacy we should be looking to leave behind. My way. The way of the world. The way of ego. Self-serving. Hedonism. Rugged individualism. One-upmanship. The last one standing. The one who has the most toys wins. Or for women, it's material, by the way. (laughs) Titles, status, kudos, fame, power, influence. And most of these things are usually linked automatically to wealth. My way is characterised, says James, by bitter envy and selfish ambition, and there will be disorder and wickedness of every kind. My way is the way of double-mindedness. Or, says James, there's a second way, God's way, and I've called it today the high way. The way of seeking and following a life based on God's wisdom. James has already assured us right at the very start of the letter that God will give this wisdom to anyone who asks for it in faith. And now he tells us what it will look like when that happens. This wisdom is not about knowing a whole lot of facts. Nor is it a particular skill in negotiating, debating, or management, or leadership, or academic scholarship. It's much deeper than any of these. It is pure, or holy. It is peaceable. It is gentle. It is willing to yield. It is full of mercy and good fruits, unbiased and sincere. Well, these things are not generally valued or revered in a culture that worships the unholy trinity of me, myself and I. These things are hard to acquire and they are hard to maintain. Just when you think to yourself how righteous or humble or holy you are, That's the very point, that's the very time when you have to recalibrate and start thinking over again. These characteristics, these virtues, can only be sustained at great personal cost. And they only appear where there has been a steady habit of prayer and self-discipline, even when they can take a while, even then, sorry, they can take a while to show up. Well, I encourage you to go back to this list to look up the letter of James this week. The readings are always included in the newsletter. And to spend some time quietly reflecting on this list. And where they are evidenced 
or not in our own life, each one of us, but also us as a church community. Even though Anglicans strive for the middle way in our approach to theology and liturgy, that's not what's going on here. James is quite adamant that there is no middle road in following Christ. There's no smooshed together, if you like, version of what I want with just a little bit of what God wants to keep him happy. Our friendship with the world, he says, means here that desiring th- it means us desiring things that are focused away from God and onto ourself. If we just go with the flow, if we don't reflect on what we're doing, but just pick up habits of mind and body, the values and behaviours from all around us, the chances are we will become friends with the world in this sense. We'll be normal. We all like to be normal, don't we? I'd love to be normal. But normal in this sense is not what God calls us to. It takes courage to stand out and be different. Real courage. It also takes thought and decision and determination. And it takes a community of faith to stand with us so that we can support and encourage one another in this difficult path. It's not a lone journey. The road to joy is not the same as the road to self-satisfied happiness. And being double-minded, with a quick nod to God to keep him happy, and then linking arms with the world once more, simply won't do. And this, says James, very strong language here, is what he calls spiritual adultery. We cannot say that we are married to God, but having a long-running affair with the world. Can't do it. Martin Luther was once asked for advice by a friend on what he should do when he was constantly plagued by selfish desires and lustful thoughts. And Luther's response was typically German, straight to the point. You can't stop birds from flying to and fro in the air, but you can stop the birds from nesting in your hair. So how can we stop the birds from nesting in our hair? Well, James offers us a pathway forward, a roadmap, if you like, <laughs> a common theme at the moment, roadmaps, a roadmap to help us to stay on the straight and narrow. And if a careful reading of the text today pulls out eight R's, capital R. The first one is relinquish. We need to let go of the need to be in control. Easily said not easily done. We need to release ourselves from the need to be right, the need to be understood or recognised. The second R, resist. Resist the devil. James doesn't hold back here. He recognised that there is a darkness that desires to draw us away from the light and a darkness that will use every cunning trick to do just that. It'll use every weakness and every vulnerability. 
And as I said last week, it's easy to recognise this voice because it always speaks words of doubt and of blame. It's a voice that challenges us to doubt what God says, what God has promised and who God is. And it's a voice of accusation, always pointed away from the one speaking to plant seeds of doubt and of fear and of shame. But it does so very craftily. A little twist here, slight alteration or deviation there. So most of the time, we actually don't even notice. Resist. Number three, refocus. We need to stop looking at our lives, ourselves and the world through the wrong lens, through the lens of what people think, what people say, what people expect. We need to start looking through the lens of Christ and the Holy Spirit. Refocus. Number four, relate. Does what you're doing or thinking of doing bring you closer to God? Does it bring you back into the relationship of intimacy with God that you were created for? God made us to relate to him and to each other. Number five, reflect. Take time to step back and look at the bigger picture. Take time to sit with God's word and see where it makes connections or where it shows dissonance. And that's often a good way of thinking about things. Reflect. Number six is repent. Acknowledge when you make bad choices. Bring your brokenness to God and ask for forgiveness. Ask for healing. Admit on a regular basis, if you may, that you are not God and that you need God to be God. And repent and acknowledge those things or those voices that you have allowed to replace God, that you have put in as the idols of your life and let them go. The word for repentance is metanoia and it means to turn around and face in the right direction, to literally shift your feet into the right direction, towards the cross, by the way. So seven is realign. Turn your feet in the right direction. And establish in your life what we call rumble strips. You know when you're driving along the freeway and you just drift over to the edge of the road and the car goes... (laughs) Just to remind you, you've gone too far over? They're called rumble strips. We need them in our life. We need, as soon as we start to feel that vibration, we need to go, right, back on track. We need rumble strips in our life. We need accountability measures. Things built in, in our relationships, in our prayer time, in our reading of scripture, in our repentance. And we have to ask God for the strength and the courage and whatever we need to stay focused in the right direction. So realign. And the last one is refrain. If it's wrong, 
If it doesn't bring you or someone else closer to God, then don't do it. Pretty simple, really. Stop doing it. Make other choices. If it's not leading you in the highway, but following a version of my way, then don't do it. Refrain. We have a conscience built into us to remind us when we need to refrain. So once again this week, James is reminding us that as Christ followers, we must walk the talk and not just pay lip service to our faith. And it cannot be done part-time. He keeps reinforcing the need to live out in action what we profess. It cannot be done with mixed allegiances or mixed motives. Being a follower of Christ is a full-time commitment of wholehearted submission to God's will. And then from that relationship, everything else flows. That's where the action is. It's tough, but it's good. So next week, we continue with James and we're going to explore the theme, The Best Laid Plans. So I'll see you then. (laughs) The Lord be with you.